people in the hearts of men and over uh, the wicked uh, powers of darkness. And Father, we see the triumph of the word itself as uh, the gospel went forth. We also see, Lord, the dangers uh, that exist in that dark world. And we pray, Father, as we continue to talk about those things, that you will protect us. We have your protection, and the enemy has no attachment to us. But, Lord, we know that uh, he is still one who hounds and who uh, tempts and who opposes the work of the kingdom. And so, Father, we pray for strength and grace. We pray for faith, Lord. And we ask you to bless us as we talk about these things this afternoon. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to continue this afternoon our efforts to expose more fully the insidious and diabolical nature of the plague of drugs that has really impacted our nation as well as other parts of the world. In the year 2000, there were about 20,000 reported deaths from drug overdoses in the U.S. So that was 23 years ago, 20,000 reported deaths. That number in 2021 rose to over 100,000. Uh, 100,006 was last year, and it's supposed to increase even more this year. The Pennington Institute, uh, it's a uh, in Australia, it's a public health research and drug policy organization that's uh, based in Victoria there in Australia. It reported the following. There is an international crisis of drug overdose. Over the last 20 years, drug overdose deaths have increased significantly in many parts of the world. Each year, a record number of deaths are reported, predominantly driven by the misuse of opioids often in combination with other drugs, including stimulants and alcohol. In 2020, an estimated 284 million people, one in every 18 people aged 15 to 64, had used a drug in the past 12 months, a 26% increase from 2010. So in 10 years, the increase, at least of those who, had, who would admit the use of a drug uh, had increased by um, that much. The estimated number of people using op opioids globally has doubled from 26 to 36 million people in 2010 to 61.3 million in 2020. There are currently multiple ongoing opioid uh, overdose epidemics in the world. One is driven by the increased presence of the synthetic opioid fentanyl in the United States and Canada, while another in North Africa, West Africa, and near and Middle East and Southwest Asia is due to the non-medical use of the synthetic opioid tramadol. There were 1,127 new psychoactive substances reported in 134 countries and territories between 2009 and 2021. Opioids are the fastest growing and most harmful group of new psychoactive substances. There were 87 different types recorded globally in 2020. 
an increase from just one in 20, or 2009. So between 2009 and 2020, it went from just one uh, type to 87 different types. Now, the numbers cited here are a little bit elusive because it's hard for us to picture them, first of all. When they're just being read to you, it's hard to keep track of what those numbers are. And because they tend to be somewhat unreliable. And that unreliability is due to poor reporting practices in much of the world. So the main thing really to focus on in reports like these are, first of all, the growing numbers of this drug pandemic, despite underreporting, and the international character of it. I would say those are the two things to take note of, how it's growing, and also that it's growing internationally. This is taking place all over the world. Now, as unsettling as the death tolls are, and they are unsettling, I wouldn't allow that information to lead you away from the more disturbing facts. The growing number of deaths is tragic, but it represents an increase and dramatic increase worldwide in the usage of mind-altering drugs. So when you see that death rate increase, it's reflective of the fact that more people are using them and they're being more widely distributed. Some European nations today speak proudly of the fact that they're seeing a leveling off of the death rate. And part of their pride comes from the fact that while the usage of drugs is on the increase, safe usage locations and treatments for overdosing have improved. And so they're saving more lives. And they approach that as though that were good news. More people are using and abusing drugs and becoming addicted, but thankfully, not so fatally, because we can rescue them from their fatal overdoses more effectively. And so we should all be happy about that. More people are using, but fewer are dying, but they're only not dying because we're able to treat them more effectively. Now, when I say that there are more disturbing aspects to this, what am I talking about? What are the factors involved? Well, if you focus on the death rate alone, the problem seems to be mitigated somewhat, especially by those reports coming out of Europe where treatments and safe use places are, are being uh, set up. But death by overdose is not the only bad consequence of drug abuse. It's only one aspect of it. The financial cost of drug use in the United States, or actually I guess in the world, is estimated to be above $740 billion. $740 billion. That's what the drug addiction in our country and around the world is costing right now. The American Addiction Center reports one of the char characteristic signs of a substance misuse problem is the deterioration of workplace performance. The cognitive, emotional, and behavioral impairment that results from drug or alcohol use can affect productivity, morale, 
even the safety of other coworkers. The cost of addiction in the workforce is usually measured financially, but it can also refer to more subjective losses, which can change the entire nature of an office. Rates of alcohol and drug use are different across industries and occupations, affecting blue-collar, middle-class, and white-collar professions alike. According to the National Safety Council, jobs in construction, mining, and some service industries have higher rates of alcohol and substance use disorders. Medical conditions characterized by an uncontrollable use of alcohol or other substances, despite the negative consequences. The impact on productivity includes a loss of productivity, of course, and and a, a reduction in job performance, that's obvious. Workplace accidents and injuries, employee absenteeism, high turnover, low employee morale, theft, and conflict among employees or with supervisors. So that's the impact in the workplace. What's the impact on the home? Well, some studies suggest that more than one out of every three divorces can be traced to some sort of substance abuse. One out of every three to some sort of substance abuse. The subject of child abuse, as related to drug abuse, is a double-edged sword that really isn't brought very often to the forefront or discussed or admitted. But we're, we're very concerned about drug abuse, I mean, rather, child abuse, but very little is said about how drug abuse contributes to it. It's the cause of a great deal of the abuse that goes on. And that abuse leads to drug addiction among abused children. So here you have a father or a mother who is addicted, and that addiction results in them misusing their children, abusing their children, and the children turning to drugs in order to deal with the abuse that they're receiving from their parents. And so it's a two-edged sword that cuts both ways. A drug-using, abusive parent is a leading factor in drug abuse among children. Children with parents who use substances are at an increased risk for child maltreatment. These children are also subject to higher rates of emotional, physical, and sexual violence, housing instability, poverty, and physical health issues. It's estimated that one out of four children in the U.S. have at least one parent who has some sort of SUD, or substance abuse disorder, as it's called. Now, I could go on for a long time citing the statistics like this, but that's not really our purpose here. I've just referenced these few to impress upon us again and, and put it before us just how much evil can arise from this issue. This is not a a, a situation that doesn't have an impact on our society. It has a tremendous impact all across the board, and it seems almost impossible to suggest otherwise. Almost half of state prisoners admitted to drug use during the commission of their crimes. So those are in state prisons, Half of them say that the crime they committed, they were on drugs when they committed it. 
And in federal prisons, the number is almost 60%. But they're in the federal prison for a crime that they committed while they were abusing drugs in some way or using some mind-altering substance. Research produces all kinds of statistics, of course. But one study done by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, a government agency, it demonstrated that over 80% of all homicides were drug-related. You think about that for a moment. 80% of all homicides were in some way drug-related. That doesn't mean the person was necessarily on drugs. Maybe they were in an altercation about drugs, um, or drugs played some part in it somewhere along the line. That's what they're saying. But 80% of the homicides um, that, in which drugs played some part. There's also clear evidence that being a non-user but living in, home, in a home with a user increases your likelihood of meeting a violent death significantly. Significantly. The National Library of Medicine says alcohol and illicit drugs, illicit drug use appear to be associated with an increased risk of violent death. The risk of homicide has increased for non-substance abusing individuals living in households in which other members abused alcohol or drugs. The concept of the individual at risk of homicide should be broadened to include not only the abuser, but also those who may be at risk because of their exposure to others. Now, there are those who will hear something like that, a statement like that, and they'll latch on to the statement in the way that it's worded because they said there appears to be a link. But if you look at the data on which they're drawing that conclusion, you will see that they are protecting themselves from being accused of overstating the obvious. That's, that's what they're doing. So they're saying it appears this way, but what they're really saying is there's so much evidence here that it can't be otherwise, but just in case, we don't want to seem to be overstating the case, so we'll say it appears to be that way. And that's commendable for them, that they're being cautious that way. But however one wants to view these reports and these studies, the sorrow, the misery, the crime, and the death that surrounds the use of drugs and the drug culture is undeniable. But what about the darker side of drug abuse? The side where the mind is altered and the imagination and the thought process are distorted. This is where drug abuse goes from being foolish and reckless to bearing eternal consequences for the soul. Now, in these afternoon studies, we've been uh, working our way through these topics, the breadth of the work of Satan, his servants and his slaves, the undeniable and historic connection between drugs and the true occult, the full nature of the danger of drug usage, and the one and only remedy. And in our time this afternoon is left to us. We want to continue looking at the undeniable and historic connection between drugs and the true occult. I want to give you just a quick reminder of what we mean by the true occult. People have a, a general acquaintance with that portion of the occult that is represented by seances and fortune tellings and card readings and movies like The Exorcist and the whole genre of demon-laced entertainment from ghosts 
to vampires and, of course, the walking dead. And to them, that's the whole concept of the occult. But that's just one face of the enemy and his cohorts. The true occult, as I'm calling it, encompasses the whole scheme of Satan against God and mankind, which reaches its tentacles into every area of the world. The spirit and character of the enemy can be gleaned from various scriptures. Speaking, I believe, of the coming world leader and antichrist, Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 10. He says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Setting aside eschatological differences for a moment, just focus on what this passage says about Satan and his ways. He proudly inspires lawlessness. He employs powers, false signs, and wonders. Deliberately, purposefully deceiving the perishing. In fact, Scripture says that if it were possible, he would even deceive the very elect. If it were possible for him to do it, he would do it. Paul says that Elimas, the magician, was a son of the devil. And he called him a son of the devil because he reflected his father's character and behavior. He was an enemy of all righteousness. He was full of all deceit and villainy. And villainy, as we try to understand that word as it was used in, in the context of the Greek language, it's reckless lewdness and malice. Reckless lewdness and, and, and maliciousness. Not, not something that is uh, um, you know, just lewd in its character, but it's recklessly so. Seeking to pervert, Paul said, what is right. Seeking to distort it. Seeking to pervert it. And we've already looked at how Jesus defined Satan's character when speaking with the Pharisees, declaring him to be the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. So this is the character and the nature of this one that we're dealing with in, in Satan. This is what, this, what he uses. He uses deceit. He has power. He can use lying wonders. All those things are, are in his reach, within his reach. And... This is the spirit who has, for now, the whole world in his clutches, as we read in 1 John in the the fifth chapter. The whole world, except those who have been delivered from his enslavement by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, if one truly believes what the Bible says about the enemy here, if if that truly is his character, if we can really trust that, that when he's described this way and his actions are described this way if we can truly trust that testimony and we truly believe it that it's true about him and about those who serve him both in this world and the spiritual world why would anyone want to be in any situation that might give him an advantage of any kind especially one that is notoriously known for weakening the mind, lowering the resistance, and making one vulnerable 
to his hatred and his malice. Why would anyone want to do that? In 1 Corinthians 10, verses, 10, uh, verses 20 through 22, Paul says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul says, I don't want you in any way connected with anything that has to do with with demons. Just separate yourself from all of that. Now, no one can honestly contend the issue before us. Mind-altering drug usage has been linked to being a threshold into the occult for eons. You just can't be an honest person and say that this is not true. History, throughout history, the, the evidence is to the contrary. The only way around that fact is to deny the occult exists, and to do that is to call God a liar and his word unreliable, and to do that is blasphemy. You just can't get around this. Drugs are a threshold to the occult. As I continue researching for these messages, I find the evidence is overwhelming. I mentioned last time the link between the Middle East and India and the use of drugs in worship. So strong is that connection that I've seen it explained both ways. That is, coming from from the Middle East to India, and then from India back to the Middle East and then to Europe. We referenced this quickly last week, but this is a blog written by a theosophist. And the word theosophy was first used in the 17th century and originated from, or originates from the Greek words theos, God, and Sophia, wisdom. And theosophy has two definitions. The first theosophy definition is that theosophy is a philosophy that draws from ancient religions and myths, especially Buddhism and Brahmism, and teaches that God can be known through mystical insight. Secondly, theosophy refers to a specific religion that is entirely based on mystical insight. Now, I'm only giving you that introduction so you know where this person who's writing is coming from. And he recently wrote this theosophist in a blog this. We are in a condition of eternal frustration, continually striving to find satisfaction. This search has led humanity to try different avenues, religion, knowledge, power, wealth, fame, pleasure, and drugs. In our culture, psychoactive drugs are used by some people for recreation, as a source of pleasure, as a means of escaping reality. But there are also those who, whether they are fully aware of it or not, hope to find something deeper, something that can fall into the character of spirituality. Most spiritual teachers have said that the way to attain real happiness is not by external achievements, but by changing our lives, that is, by altering our perception of 
and reaction to the world. But this is quite difficult, as anybody who has tried it can attest. It's not surprising, then, that since magic pills are available to alter our states of consciousness at any time and with no effort on our part, some people claim that drugs are a valid means towards spiritual experience. Pablo Sender is the one who wrote this. Now, it's important to understand as you hear that, that theophysists denounce the use of drugs. They're not involved in, in drug use at all. They seek the occult by meditation. But what I wanted to show you is that they, too, recognize this fact, that drugs are used as a means to enter into an alternate sense of spirituality. And you notice how he says it, whether they know it or not, some people are involved in this. And they don't even know that that's what they're dabbling in. It is an alternative sense of spirituality so that they can enter the occult. And the reason I brought this up is because I want you to see that it's not just a Christian thing. This isn't just Christians saying, oh yeah, drugs are bad and they're, and they're used to lead people into the occult. He has nothing to do with Christianity. But he recognizes that this is a means for tapping into the occult. There's evidence that for many generations, the use of drugs as a way of becoming involved in the occult was discreet. And it was kept like a carefully guarded secret. And there was a reason for that. I'm the high priest. And uh, I'm, I, have, I go into trances. And I also put you into trances to manipulate, manipulate you. But I don't want you to know how I do it. <laughs> I don't want you to know what I'm using to make that happen because if you know what I'm using to make that happen, what are you going to do? You're going to do it yourself, right? And you don't need me anymore. So I don't talk too much about this, but it's a regular part of what I do in whatever it is I'm involved in. It was kept discreet, a carefully guarded secret. But in the mid-1800s, this discretion was almost completely abandoned. And a century later, by the 1960s, it became a popular subject. No longer going to some guru who would be tapped into the occult or going to a seance or being affected by going in and, and meeting someone who would expose you to drugs unknowingly. Not that, but now we're all self-drugging. In 1967, a well-known writer on the subject advised that drugs be used to raise the magician's power to the highest level. Not by using the drugs himself. No, in fact, the advice was if you're kind of in control of these situations where you're in the occult situation, you want to avoid using the drug so that you can stay in control. You're already a servant of the occult forces, so you don't have to get into the use of drugs to be used. You're already being used. He then said the occult or demonic force can be evoked and show himself by taking temporary possession of the magician, if he's one who does use the drugs, or 
of those present who had been so weakened to the point of exhaustion by drugs and other things, like lewd rituals, he can put up the least possible resistance to the invading force. Now, this isn't a secret. This is a man explaining to you how this works. You expose people to drugs, you get them to the point where they have no more resistance to the drug, and that way the demonic spirit can get them, get into them, without any resistance on the part of the person. And so you get them in this stupor so that you can lead them into that world. And here again, we could go on and on and offer endless evidence to the reality. Now, does this mean that everyone who uses mind-altering drugs is involved in the occult? No. And neither are we saying that there are no other ways to be caught up in it. There are other ways. As I've tried to show, the occult is so pervasive that there are many ways even following a holy man who may be nothing more than a demon-possessed person who appears as an angel of light. But maybe this will help to put the matter in perspective. For those who are of the opinion that such drugs can be used harmlessly and recreationally. To me, this is no different than knowing that I live next door to a thieving raping serial killer and I know it it's no secret and I meet him and I say look here's the key to my front door you can have it but when you come into my house you can't go beyond the foyer that's all the further you can go so You're allowed in, but that's all the further you can go. It's this far. Is there any hope that I'm going to be able to keep that person from doing what he would do by his own nature by simply saying, you can't come any further than this? No. And I can't just say, don't use that key to do anything bad. I'm going to give it to you, but don't you use it to do anything bad. The whole driving desire of the demon world, beloved, is to destroy. And why grant them any known advantage? But is this all there is to it? Just this sorrow that we've talked about this afternoon? Is it just to turn people into zombies or self-destructive souls? Or do the stupefying and tripping nature of drugs open the door to something else? something even more evil and ruinous? Are they part of an effort to prepare the way for something truly awful? To properly get a handle on what the Bible has to say about drug use and abuse, one has to understand the meaning of magic in the biblical context. And Lord willing, by God's grace, we'll pick that up next time and develop a little bit more Um, how this invaded into the life of the Jews, into the pagan world, and the threat it is to our own world, and the possible consequences that come as a result of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, look to your word for wisdom and instruction. And Lord, your word is quite clear. 
it tells us to have nothing to do with the devil or with his demons or with the things associated with him. But Lord, these are difficult times. People are entrapped unknowingly. They are drawn into the use of drugs and become harmed or become affected by them even before they realize what's going on. And Lord, it breaks our hearts to see it. Father, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the dangers involved. Our hearts also have to be open to those who are in need. And we thank you, Lord, that the power rests with you, a power that is greater than all these powers. And so, Father, we come to you on behalf of those who we know are caught in this trap. And we pray, Lord, that you would deliver them. You're the only one who can. We see them struggle to deliver themselves. We, we see them making the effort and, Lord, falling short again and again. This is a work that only you can do by your grace, by the power of your spirit through your word. And we pray, Father, that you would deliver those who are near and dear to us. We thank you, Lord, for those you have given victory to. And we pray for others, Lord, and ask you to rescue them. And Lord, we pray that you would also make clear what is going on here so that we may all be forewarned and thereby forearmed. Lord, this is not something we can afford to take lightly. And so we pray, Lord, that we take it seriously. And that means bringing it before you in prayer, seeking out your strength and your power your protection for us and our loved ones, for our children. And Lord, asking for your mercy to deliver those who may be entrapped. Father, we need the outpouring of your spirit. We need the power of your word to work in the hearts of men and women. We need you, Lord, to bring conviction to the hearts of those who are taking this matter lightly and are allowing the, the sorrows and the bitterness and the tragedy that's gripping a good part of our society to take place. Lord, we ask you to please work. Protect us, strengthen us, encourage us. And Lord, let us be light and salt showing that there's danger in these things, but there's joy in the Lord. Showing as best we can that uh, if there's a desire to, to find um, a place of peace and comfort and satisfaction and consolation, that that place is in Christ and that there's nothing like it. No drug can meet it. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a good witness to those things. We would seek them for ourselves so that we can demonstrate it day by day. Father, we commend ourselves into your hands as we continue to deal with this subject. We pray that you will guide us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.